Hi, you're listening to Walkley Talks with me, Helen Sullivan. This year, Storyology welcomed back Irene J. Liu, 2017 Pulitzer finalist and Google News Lab's Asia-Pacific lead, to give us the skinny on some of the best new storytelling formats, tricks, and tools at journalists' disposal. Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And so journalism is also, um, has, has a very similar mission, Bef you know, long before people ever uh, started filing things and uh, typing things on little tiny phones. Um, you know, people were sharing stories, journalists were uh, holding those in power to account and uh, really investigating and explaining the world to their audiences. This is a really unique moment in the history of news. We've talked a lot about that this over the past few days. Um, it's been a challenge, of course, uh, for the industry. The first job that I ever was offered as a journalist was canceled due to budget cuts a week before I was supposed to start. So this has been a very, very difficult time of turmoil. But it's also a really interesting opportunity, right? Because when anyone has a phone, anyone can shoot video and take pictures, then when anyone can commit a journalistic act, the question then is, what is the role of the journalist? And I think it's more important than ever because if anyone can create content, then journalism needs to make sure that that content um, has, is high quality and can inform the public. The bridges between tech and media are growing stronger and stronger. Um, you know, you can't really think about just writing your story, you have to think about platform. Um, and so as a reporter now, you have to think not only what, you know, what is the information that I want to provide, but how do I provide it? Um, and that's really where Google News Lab comes in. We really think that in order to create a more informed world, journalists and technologists have to work together. Um, and you know, that's where our division, Google News Lab, it's, we are a small but mighty team based in APAC, Europe, uh, uh, the United States and Latin America. Um, that's where we come in. So we do everything from doing uh, trainings and we go into newsrooms and talk about the different tools that are available. We also, um, you know, we also work in partnerships. So when news organizations are looking to apply technologies or innovate in different ways on the editorial side, that's where News Lab will come in as well. So putting aside all the News Lab propaganda, now let's go right to the tools. First one I always like to mention is collaborative docs. Uh, we talked, uh, we, we heard about how important collaboration is these days, but did you know that Google Docs and Google Spreadsheets actually have some very interesting little hacks that you can use? First one is, as I mentioned yesterday, for those of you who are here, you can actually use Google Docs to transcribe interviews. We heard about this from uh, a, uh, a reporter who was based in Brazil. So he uses the voice to text function here. He puts headphones in his ear and then he repeats what he hears on his, um, on his interview and speaks it right to the Google Doc and it records it. It functions not only in English and in many accents. Actually, you can choose which accent you want. It doesn't have Scottish, but it does have New Zealand and Australian. Um, but you can use that as a really handy tool and it also works in many other languages too as well. Advanced search. This one is, in my mind, the, probably the most important that we can uh, you know, use in our daily reporting. And I know you're probably thinking, okay, well, search, please. Everyone knows how to search on Google, right? You just type in a bunch of words and something comes back. But the thing about it is that Google, you know, it, going back to kind of the idea of what the search engine is, um, it's really trying to deliver what 
it is that you're looking for. It's trying to anticipate, based on the cluster of words that you say, what exactly you're trying to get. So for most people, for regular civilians, it is the most obvious thing, right? So if I type in uh, coffee shop, uh, Darlinghurst, I want to know where the coffee shops are in this neighborhood, right? So it's meant for a mass audience. But journalists, when they're searching, are usually looking for highly specific information. Little reports or um, you know, little details that are hidden in the dark corners of the internet, right? Um, that's what we're looking for. And so in order to make search work for you as the journalist, you actually, it actually helps for you to really think about searching and refining um, your search to make sure that it's really, really, um, that it really gets to what you're wanting without having to click through many, many, many pages. So this is what Google search looks like today. You can see that you have the, um, you know, you have the blue links, the regular results, but also you have this whole uh, aspect over here. And it's really important because when you type in San Jose, California, Google is assuming that you're looking for the city of San Jose in California. Now, when it serves up that content, it also then brings up photos, maps, all kinds of other things, right? And so that's the really, really important thing. The search engine should understand exactly what you mean and give you back exactly what you want. And so what Google's doing right now when you search is it's trying to figure out that thing, whatever it is, that thing that you're looking for. And this understanding that um, you know, the search is really trying to match you with an entity can be very helpful when you're trying to actually uh, refine your search. So one of my first, uh, like kind of most basic search refinements that I think is very useful is the minus sign. Because the minus sign will actually help you tell Google what to eliminate, right? So in this example here, Jaguar and Speed, right? So a Jaguar can be a car brand, it can be an animal, and Speed actually applies to both. So if you say, I want you to remove all the things related to the car, what Google's doing is it's figuring out, okay, so you know, it could be two different entities that you're looking for. So by, removing the minus, uh, by taking the minus sign and removing anything related to the car, you're serving up half of the search results. And this is really, really important because you know, it's not just about any web page that says, actually says car on it. Because Google is trying to figure out what entity that you're looking for, um, it can actually remove anything. It doesn't actually have to say car. It can just figure out that most of what you're looking for is related to the animal. And so when you do that, you can see that the results that come up are actually for the Jaguar, Jaguar the animal. The other really, really handy search refinement that I really like is uh, the site. So, of course, you can go to a website and search directly, but the key thing is if you go to a website and actually use their search bar, you are at the mercy of whoever is in charge of that web page, okay? And so this may not always be for nefarious reasons. It actually is for the same reason that we've talked about before. A website is trying to give you the information that is most useful. And so, for example, if you are a regular person and you go to the Department of Health website, you're probably looking for information about flu vaccines or something that's more consumer-oriented. Whereas as a journalist, a lot of times if you're going to these Department of Websites, you may be looking for reports or budget documents or data, right? And so being able to really um, you know, focus on searching the whole website becomes really, really important. So you know, if you go out, you go to Google, or actually any other search engine really, and you use the site uh, search refinement, what you are doing is you are searching every single page that Google has indexed from that website. So that can mean 
um, not only the pages that you can click through uh, if you go to the website directly, it also means perhaps older reports that you actually can't access by clicking on links, um, or even you know, other random documents that somebody puts up and they forget about. So this was very, very, very helpful if you're doing investigative reporting or beat reporting as well. Another one that I really like is searching by domain. So you don't actually have to search just by one uh, website, you could actually search a whole suite. So you could search govt.au, right? And this is very helpful if you are doing stories that are related to government um, or others. Another one that I have particularly really liked uh, in my career, if you can really love a search refinement, is uh, file type. So this one allows you to search by PowerPoint, by PDF, CSV, XLS. This is really helpful, again, when you're trying to look for kind of insider information, right? Because PowerPoints are not usually meant for a mass audience. They're usually meant for uh, a, a meeting or whatever. So it can give you, give you a little bit of insight um, that perhaps you wouldn't get if you're just only searching web pages. And you can combine them. Uh, so you can combine all, all these search requirements together to really hone into what you're looking for. Another pro tip that actually someone shared to me is that if you go to settings, you can, um, instead of having 10 results per page, you can actually have 100 results per page. So that's a really good one. It does take longer to load, but then you don't have to keep clicking through, right? So um, these are just a few different search refinements, but if you go to uh, settings and advanced search, you can actually fill out a form that includes all of them. And um, somebody actually just shared a pro another pro tip with me. What he does is um, when he's, he has to monitor certain search terms all the time, so he creates this setting um, with all the search terms and then bookmarks the search result. And so he can actually go and have a constantly updated page just by going to that page each time, which is really, really clever. Quick example of how this can work in, uh, in real life. This is just a story that I had done when I was at the South China Morning Post many, many moons ago. Um, we were doing a story about uh, superbug infections, so antibiotic-resistant infections from hospitals. We asked for the data. They said, nah, we don't want to give it to you. And unlike Australia, there is no freedom of information uh, law in Hong Kong. So when they say no, you actually have no legal recourse. All you can do is just say, okay. But we started to have a conversation and really push them on this. And meanwhile, we went to look on Google to see what other information was available. What we found was a PowerPoint presentation that was uh, put together by a woman in the Department of Public Health. And it had all this data that they were refusing to give us. <laughs> which is really amazing. And even more significantly, they had uh, the mortality rate for patients who had gotten these infections. And this one was really significant because um, I had specifically asked for that data and uh, the spokesman got on his high horse and he was like, we don't agree with the methodology, we never calculate that. Never, ever, ever, we never calculate it, it's irresponsible. And so then lo and behold, you see this document, the data source is the hospital authority. And so I immediately got on the phone and I was like, you lied to me and I'm gonna name you and call you a liar in this story. And he's like, whoa, 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 where are you getting this from? So I sent him the PowerPoint, he's like, let me call you back. And so he, so then you know, he, he calls me back and he's like, that PowerPoint was not meant for you, it was meant for an academic audience, and so you definitely should not write about it. And I was like, well, too bad, because you shouldn't have put it on the interwebs, <laughs> number one. And number two, you just confirmed that this is a legitimate document, so I'm definitely writing about it now. <laughs> and he was like, he, and, and I said, but listen, okay, this is a very important topic, it's very, it can be a very scary topic, we don't want to scare the public, we want to do a proper story. I would prefer 
if you gave me the data, we did an analysis, we came back to you, we interviewed all of the officials in, your, in the organization, and we wrote a nice, properly, you know, fully-fledged story. But that is my preference, but I'm not going to go away. If you don't want to work with me, then I'm still going to write it because this is, you know, very good data and, you know, you've confirmed it. So then he was like, oh, let me call you back. And he eventually called back and gave us the data. So again, you know, I think the point behind this is that the internet is amazing. You'll get lots of information. It's usually, very rarely will you get like that silver bullet, right? The one thing that's gonna like make your, blow open your whole investigation. But in this case, we were able to get enough to actually in, improve our argument. It gave us leverage to actually continue to have that dialogue. And I think that that's really the point. A few other notes, uh, Wayback Machine uh, is a really, really handy tool for looking at cached pages, right? So what happens when you have a, um, you know, a board member resigns in disgrace, a politician, you know, uh, it goes away. The first thing that a good PR person will do is remove their bio from the website. And so that can be really, really annoying. Or you're asking for um, something and they realize that you're writing a story, so they remove that page that um, is crucial, right? Um, so one thing that can be very helpful is looking at the Wayback Machine to see whether or not um, there has been a, a cached version of that page indexed. The other thing, you can also set the, um, you can actually cache your own pages. So if there is something that you're working on, um, on an investigation, you can go here and ask um, for a snapshot to be taken, which is really, really helpful. Google also has cached pages as well. So all you need to do is go to the little drop down uh, arrow and work your way down from the, um, from, from the web page if you are not seeing what you're looking for. So that is advanced search. Now moving on to verification. Photos are a huge part of what we do now. People are very visual, uh, especially when you're dealing with social media um, and others. So advanced reverse image search can be very helpful if you're trying to verify photos, particularly in breaking news situations, right? So all the images that, we're that are coming out of uh, Houston right now, these sorts of things. Before we can run with it, we need to make sure that it's actually legitimate. So uh, with Google image search, you can search by text. So you type in something and it'll show you a number of photos. Uh, another thing you can do, which is very handy, is you can actually search by image. So if the photo is already online, you just take that URL and then put it right in and it'll actually see if uh, that exact photo or similar images have appeared elsewhere. Or if you have the photo in hand, you can actually drag it right into this little box here and then it'll also do the same thing. So this is just a quick example. This is from uh, the Malaysia Airlines Flight 17. So this is the second Malaysia Airlines uh, plane crash. Um, this photo was circulating on social media. If you take this photo and put it through image search, what you find is that it is not a photo from the plane crash in Ukraine. It is a photo from the TV show Lost. So. People who specialize in verification will tell you that there are a lot of other telltale signs that were, you know, w which would give you a clue that it wasn't real, right? Why is this random guy in a suit standing near the plane crash? Why, does, why are they on a beach in, in, in the Ukraine, right? And also another telltale sign is like, what is up with, you know, be, always be suspicious when someone puts a logo on a photo that they're sharing on social media, right? But image search takes two seconds and you can quickly identify that this was not 
real. Another, oh, sorry, another point on this that is really important is um, a lot of times actually the photo is from the place it says it is, but perhaps it's actually an older photo. So a flood from two years ago, a blizzard from three years ago. People will put it, you know, they may recognize a photo and be like, oh yeah, I know that neighborhood. So they see it on social media, they share it. What they don't realize is that it's from a previous event. That's also where advanced image search can be very, very helpful because you can see whether that, if that photo appeared before the event where it supposedly happened, then you know that it actually is not legitimate. Google is not the only game in town. Tineye is a really fantastic resource for, um, use, for image search as well. And I always recommend that you don't just stick to one of these browsers, right? Because each one has their own secret sauce. They index pages differently. So you may actually get different results. Um, and another note is that when you're dealing with uh, you know, content from different countries or different languages, definitely also use the search engines that are very popular in those countries, right? So Baidu in China, Yandex in Russia, um, Naver in Korea, uh, Yahoo in Japan. Videos. That's the other area where we start seeing things uh, kind of going viral and social. Um, the YouTube data viewer can help you to find the metadata for various YouTube uh, vi uh, videos. The other thing that people recommend if you're trying to verify videos is to take screenshots from the video and then put those through reverse image search. Unfortunately, there isn't an equivalent type of reverse video search, but um, this can be one handy tool for, the, for that kind of work. If you want to learn more, there's a whole art to this kind of uh, verification. First Draft is a really handy resource. They have tip sheets, they have uh, geolocation quizzes, which are actually kind of fun, and other things. So really recommend that you check out their website. And if you want to learn about Google tools in particular, you can go to the Google News Lab website and learn about these tools. So Google Maps and Earth. Google has tons of mapping products. So this is the Google Maps we know and love. You can embed maps, which is very handy. Um, images, as we're seeing now with Houston, you know, this, this idea of something happens, a riot, uh, a blizzard, uh, an earthquake, um, and you, have, you send your photographers and your, um, you're in and you take images of the aftermath, but sometimes you don't have the before, especially if it's an obscure place, right? That's where Street View can be very, very helpful. And you can use these Im images um, you just, uh, freely, you just need to attribute. Same thing, neighborhoods change. You can actually um, use Street View imagery. We've been around uh, long enough now, and we've gone to uh, certain places more than once, so you can actually look at historical images as well. Street View also has 360-degree photos. Um, some of these are created by Google Street View directly, and others are contributed from um, other, you know, random citizens who take 360 photos and upload them to Google Maps. And again, you can use these. If you um, are interested in how to uh, apply geolocation to the art of uh, verification, I really recommend this. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's Google Earth. Google Earth has uh, gotten a bit of a makeover. Um, I'm sure you, how many of you guys have used Google Earth before? Yeah, a lot of you, right? So you download it, you get all excited, you turn it on, and like your fan starts going, and like the whole computer slows down, right? Um, <laughs> so actually, um, in April, Google Earth got a bit of a makeover, and so now it's actually browser-based, and it has all of the you know really awesome 3D images and satellite images that um, that it's it's known for. If you want to use Google Earth Pro, um, you still have to download that app, um, but by using Google Earth Pro, you can actually download high-resolution um, satellite images. You can download 3D images as well. 
um, which can be very handy in these kinds of breaking news uh, situations. It's also really good for environmental reporting. So land reclamation, clearing, um, you know, development. These are all really great ways to, to leverage the satellite imagery. In breaking news situations, we will also, we have a team within Google that actually curates these satellite images. And we'll, um, if you subscribe to the uh, media alerts, we'll send you an email and with that often includes a Google Drive uh, link so that you can actually download these images. So we do the work for you. Um, and you can use these again for um, all, kinds of, all kinds of stories. Um, you just need to attribute. In the case of breaking news situations, we will actually go to our third-party providers and ask for additional uh, imagery. So this was that explosion in the warehouse in Tianjin in China. It went really kind of viral because people had taken these like incredible uh, videos of, of, of the warehouse exploding. But what we were able to do was actually we went back to Terabella, um, which is an image provider, and asked them for an aftermath photo as well. Uh, sometimes we'll actually put together these like yeah, GIF files as well. And we uh, are increasing the number of 3D images that we have within uh, Google Pro all the time. And um, you can actually download them and create your own infographics with them. You can also export HD videos, you know, like that thing where you go from Earth and drop down into a place. You can actually export that video as well. If you want to access these uh, pro, ver uh, pro parts of the tool, just use this key, GEP free. And if you want to learn more, again, about geolocation and how to leverage Google Earth for verification, Bellingcat is a really fantastic resource. Um, they have tons of tip sheets and tools on how to do this kind of work. And if you want to know how to attribute, just go to Google Permissions. So there's uh, one other note. We have very basic uh, lessons on the uh, Google News Lab website. If you want to go uh, kind of further and really, really in, uh, learn more about how to use all these tools, really recommend um, this GeoMedia Lab. So this was actually a website that was created by the Geo team within Google, and they have even more in-depth tutorials on how to use all these tools and the media alerts. So analyzing data, and I have to speed through this because I don't have much time left, but OpenRefine, really fantastic for cleaning data. Any data journalist will say that cleaning the data is probably the most painful part. This can really help you, it's, and it's great, and it's free. Um, analyzing data, Google Sheets, Google um, Excel, pick your poison, but this is the heart of doing any good data investigation, and this is the place to start. Um, data visualization. So um, Google Sheets, like Excel, you can do very basic charts. Um, the cool thing about Google Sheets is that you can actually embed them, and they become little interactives, right, which is quite cool. You can also build a very simple map. If, you, if your data is to the country level, it can actually do a very quick hit heat map for you. Flourish is a really, really um, interesting tool that we actually at NewsLab have commissioned to build. Um, you know, this use case where big newsrooms can afford to do these very fancy interactive graphics. Uh, smaller newsrooms, they have limited resources. It may be tougher. So, um, you know, Google NewsLab has produced a number of visualizations, and we put them out onto GitHub so that anyone can take the code and build these visualizations. But Smaller newsrooms may not even have the resource to be able to take that code and do it. So what we've been able to do is we worked with a firm called Kiln to build a program called Flourish, where basically you put the data in and it'll actually do these visualizations for you. So you can do the, the kind of earth one, uh, you can do a very basic photo slider, and you can do a horse race chart. My maps and fusion tables, really great for building your own custom maps. So if you want to build a very simple map, 
You can even build it on, the, uh, My Maps actually has a mobile uh, app, app as well, so you can actually do it right on your phone. Very simple, you can't really customize that much, but it gets a job done. So you can actually add icons, you can embed videos, you can do all kinds of things like that. Google Fusion Tables is next level. If you want to um, actually map a lot more data, Fusion Tables can be quite helpful. Um, also, you can actually um, build these heat maps as long as you have the boundary files. You are very lucky in Australia because those boundary files are actually available from the government. So unlike a lot of other countries where you can't really get them. More lessons on the Google News Lab website. And lastly, a few other handy tools that I find um, can be quite helpful in various aspects of reporting. Storyfill multi-search is a Chrome extension. You, once you uh, put it in, um, you can actually search Instagram, Twitter, and a number of other things all in one go. Basically, you uh, put your search term in once, and it creates new tabs um, in all the different apps. If you want to copy someone else's Twitter list, which I do because I'm lazy, and my husband has very well curated, he likes Twitter a lot, so he has a very well curated Twitter source list for various different topics, you can actually um, copy that list over into your own, into your own uh, account. Instagram search, PicoDash, really important. Uh, Feedly, which is just one tool that allows you to aggregate content from multiple websites. Reportive, I love this one, basically. It um, connects your Gmail account to LinkedIn. So then anytime you get an email with, uh, uh, from somebody and their email address is attached to a LinkedIn profile, it'll actually bring it up right here. This is really great for sourcing, right? So you wanna add people to your LinkedIn network, you can actually do it right here. The other thing that is really helpful is you can actually then guess someone's email based on it because what you do is you just take a blank uh, email, you start typing in different things if you're looking for me, maybe, um, irene.lu at google.com or whatnot. You type a bunch of them. If it triggers a LinkedIn account, then you know that it's a legitimate address. LinkedIn, for, speaking of LinkedIn, LinkedIn for journalists. If you go to this page, you can actually um, take a webinar where they spend two or three hours telling you about how to use LinkedIn for reporting, and then they'll give you a premium account. So if you have not done this, you should definitely do it. LinkedIn is an amazing resource for sourcing, and um, it's just, it's, it's, it, all you have to do is sit through a three-hour webinar. Um, Facebook, it's very hard sometimes to search, so um, one just pro tip that I have picked up over time is um, using uh, alumni email addresses and others it can be quite helpful. Searching by email is often more successful um, than searching by text in, in Facebook if you're looking for someone. And the last thing I'll talk about quickly is metadata. So metadata allows you to um, search and identify, um, it's, it, I would not say it's authoritative, but it's a very helpful tool if you're trying to um, confirm little bits. So particularly websites, the um, who is database is really, really handy. Um, if you're trying to figure out who's behind a website, you should definitely look here and see whether or not their name has been registered um, and is public. Even if it's not public, if you go to one of these paid services and look at the historical who is database, you may find their contact information as well. Very handy during elections when there's all this oppo research and websites that crop up, right? Uh, met photo metadata, really handy as well. If you type in EXIF viewer or photo metadata viewer on Google, you'll get lots of different ones. This is just one that's been around a lot. It provides a lot of information. If the photo is an original photo and it has metadata, it can tell you what camera, when it was taken, um, and also even geolocation. The one caveat is metadata can be changed, so you have to be careful when you use it. Okay, And also be very careful when you are on the run with a fugitive that you don't take a photo and upload it to the web so that everyone knows where you are. 
okay? This is a very funny story. I would recommend that you look at it. If you want to find an IP address, there are lots of different tools. You just type in the IP address, and it'll actually show you if there's a geolocation associated with it. Um, and lastly, metadata appears in a lot of different places. It's not just anything that's digital, right? So we often think about it for photos, but PDFs, PowerPoints, um, you know, docs, spreadsheets all have metadata. That's how they do track changes. So this is a story that I was doing, and this is the last example that I'll show that we did for the South China Morning Post. Oh, sorry, for Reuters. Um, we were looking at the proliferation of bootleg tests for the SAT, which is the U.S. College Exemptions Exam. So we were looking at all these kind of websites, and what we found was that. Um, the same test was appearing on a lot of different websites, but we wanted to know, was it from the same source or was it from um, different sources? And so one of the things that we were able to do is looking at the kind of watermark on the left-hand side, you could see that you know, the imp imperfections of the scan gave us a clue that quite likely they were all coming from the same source. The other thing that was very valuable, though, was that the metadata from the actual PDF suggested that this had leaked before the test had been administered. Now, we would never write a story based off this, but this allowed us to continue our reporting and learn more. And last part, the future. So um, this is an example from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. This is a piece that they did in 2012-2013. Um, classic investigative data story. Um, they were trying to get a sense of where there was overfishing in certain locations. Um, and then what they did was they, you know, they went to the governments and in order to try to answer this question of overfishing, they um, you know, requested data sets. They were rebuffed, finally got them, they did a data analysis, and they wrote the story. Fast forward to today, now you have organizations like the Global Fishing Watch, where what they're doing is they're monitoring the ships, all boats around the world, right? And they've trained a computer to identify whether, um, what kind, like whether boats are actually fishing based on the movement patterns of the boats, right? So this is kind of next level, right? Using machine learning to help to identify and get data in a way that you couldn't in the past. Um, already journalists are starting to do this. Um, BuzzFeed ha has recently published a story about how they found hidden spy planes in the US based on their movement patterns. And Google News Lab has actually worked on a project with ProPublica in the United States. One of the big challenges often when you're doing data is that you don't have a comprehensive uh, repository for data. And this is the case for hate crimes in the US. But they wanted to see if there's a way that they could actually try to get at that question. Um, and what they did was they essentially worked to um, teach a computer to read thousands of local you know, news stories and identify incidents where um, it appeared to be a hate crime, and then put that into a database so that you could then analyze it. And so this is, I think, where we're going um, you know, with machine learning to really, really help us to do things that we ordinarily couldn't do. There's so much more, and I'm over time, I apologize, but um, you know, we really feel like the answers are not gonna come from Google, um, but we wanna be supportive. You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. If you've liked this podcast, there are a couple of things you can do to support it. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com forward slash subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes and other Walkley news. Rate us on iTunes. Or tell your friends, family and colleagues about Walkley Talks. This podcast was produced with help from freelance journalist and fabulous intern Courtney Hunter and former Walkley's superstar Kate Golden in Sydney, Australia. Thanks for listening.